Uh, hi everyone and uh, welcome to my presentation. Today's topic is uh, on Machine Learning Factory, which is a multi-purpose automatic machine learning service that we're creating. Uh, but first, let me say a few words about myself. Uh, my name is Magnus Lien. Uh, I work in a team called Visma Resolve as a service owner and the project manager. Um, I have a master's degree from Industrial Economics and Technology Management in uh, Trondheim from the University of uh, in, uh, Science and Technology. Uh, and I have a specialization within optimization and machine learning. Uh, what I will cover today is uh, firstly uh, some background on Machine Learning Factory and uh, the value proposition there. I will then uh, cover some of the domains and sub-services which we are delivering through Machine Learning Factory. Uh, I will then uh, talk a bit about how we're actually able to automate machine learning before I talk a bit about the service design and architecture of uh, Machine Learning Factory. And part three and four here is a bit more technical but I will keep it on a conceptual level so people that does not have that much technical competence can still be able to follow on. The last 10 years, uh, the software industry has experienced quite a rapid change. Uh, there's been a transition from on-prem to cloud, uh, which enables uh, companies to deliver software as a service. Uh, this removes the need for, for doing manual installments and, uh, and tedious updates. Uh, Companies are, are delivering mobile apps and uh, social apps, which enables uh, the user to work from anywhere they want. Um, <clears throat> some companies are even utilizing Internet of Things, which is a technology that uh, enables uh, the user to control physical objects using software. And uh, this is great. Uh, it creates a lot of value, uh, but uh, we see that the customer expects more uh, because uh, we see that it's not uh, longer enough to have a great core product uh, because the user also expects smartness. So for instance, a inventory, let's say a ERP uh, system that is used by a, a uh, stock holding company, uh, they don't only want to kind of have an overview of which stocks they have, but they want to know how should I do my replenishment? How much am I going to sell and so on? Uh, for user of a CRM system, it's not uh, longer enough to kind of get a good visualization of their customer data. They also want to know how they should optimally act on this. And we see it for other cases as well. For instance, invoice handling, they want us to automate that and automate the bookkeeping and so on. And um, kind of the, um, the common thing about this, uh, these cases is that, uh, is that the underlying technology is usually based on some sort of machine learning or AI. Uh, so basically, in order for software companies to stay uh, competitive, uh, they need to start offering machine learning. However, uh, adopting AI for the for the average uh, company is is not uh, is not easy uh, because there's a quite a high barrier to entry here. Um, for instance, um, in terms of competence, uh, developing machine learning services require uh, like a special competence, which is not uh, something that the average uh, developer is able to do. Uh, this means that the software company needs to uh, hire hire new people, data scientists, and it to build up new teams. And this is uh, both time consuming and, and quite costly. Uh, secondly, it's it's quite hard to make machine learning scale um, because, uh, say, for the, the example where you have a a company that offers uh, that wants uh, sales predictions, we will need to train 
uh, one machine learning model per product. And if you have a lot of products, this will require a lot of data scientists and a lot of uh, servers, etc., to make this scale, uh, which is both, uh, both uh, costly and, and hard to do. Um, so, and there's also kind of a significant financial risk here because uh, a lot of AI projects uh, are not successful. And uh, this is especially uh, because, um, because this technology is quite new and uh, most software companies doesn't have experience with delivering these kinds of, of products. Uh, so we see that kind of this uh, uh, investment risk often makes the barrier to adopting AI uh, too high, um, especially for companies and the, in the SMB domain, uh, which doesn't have a lot of excess cash they can, they can risk. Um, so in order to drastically reduce the barrier uh, to enter the domain of AI, uh, we're offering, offering machine learning as a service. And this basically enables uh, software companies to deliver AI services to their customers without, uh, without needing to put a lot of money into hiring data scientists and, uh, and uh, without kind of taking this fina high financial risk. Um, so how this works basically is that uh, our machine learning as a service uh, takes care of all the, all the algorithms and uh, and the scaling uh, related to kind of model training and so on, while the while the software company takes care of kind of the user interaction uh, and uh, what data should be used and and so on. So, uh, so basically, this enables um, software companies to deliver AI to their uh, to their customers while uh, while using their uh, existing work staff, so their existing software developers. In addition, it frees up time that they can use on kind of optimizing the user experience. Uh, and this is very important because, uh, because as this technology is very new, uh, many customers don't have experience with it. So having a good and transparent uh, user uh, interface is kind of key for, to enable success there. Uh, and, uh, and third, um, we will take care of the scaling. So, so kind of all this, uh, all the server costs and, and all uh, all the stuff related to kind of having hundreds or thousands of machine learning models is something the customer or the software company doesn't need to uh, to think about. So this uh, ML as a service is called machine learning factory, as basically a set of uh, APIs or endpoints. Uh, so how this works is that uh, a given software company that wants to deliver machine learning to to their customers. They will connect to our endpoints, send in data, um, and this uh, this will trigger our automatic machine learning system, which will fetch this data and train custom and tailored machine learning models per data set. So for a given software company that wants to uh, uh, incorporate predictions in their, in their service and deliver this to their customers, can connect to our APIs and send in data, and this will trigger our automatic uh, machine learning system that will uh, train uh, and select the optimal model per data set that, uh, that the software company sends in. Um, and we will then use these models to create predictions that we will return to uh, the software company. And then this co uh, company can, can uh, present this to the user in a nice uh, user interface. So basically this enables um, the software company to deliver kind of uh, cutting edge predictions while being in control of the data and the user interface without needing to have any actual data science or machine learning knowledge.
Um, so that was kind of the background and the value pro uh, proposition. Uh, so now I'll dig a bit into the domains and subservices where we're covering with Machine Learning Factory. Um, so we're currently working on, on supporting machine learning across uh, three domains, uh, inventory management, human resource management, and workforce management. Within uh, inventory management, we basically use machine learning uh, to predict uh, sales forecasts and uh, inventory level and purchase order suggestions. Uh, within human resource management, we have two cases. The first one is to use machine learning uh, for anomaly detection in time reporting. Um, and the second one is to use machine learning to predict uh, turnover uh, so that uh, companies can plan their recruitment activities better. Um, within workforce management, we are applying machine learning to predict labor demand in order to approve staffing at hospitals, manufacturers, and so on. If we look a bit more into uh, this inventory management uh, subservice, uh, the customer here is typically a, uh, a wholesaler who sells, uh, who sells uh, their products to, to other uh, companies. Uh, and they have typically between five and 10,000 products in their portfolio. And they want to use uh, machine learning to kind of predict the sales and manage their inventory more efficient. Uh, so we offer here basically three sub-modules. Uh, the first one is about sales prediction. So here we train a customized machine learning model per product, which the customer can use to, um, to create uh, sales forecasts, uh, for instance, one to 12 months ahead. Uh, the second module is about uh, suggesting which products uh, the customer should focus on, because if the customer has five to 10,000 uh, products, they don't have time to manage all of them closely. So it's about kind of identifying which products are creating value for us um, and then giving suggestions on, on what should the, how much safety stock should they have of these products and what should be their reorder points. And in order to do this, we take a historical sales pattern into the account, transportation time, uh, wanted service level, and so on. Um, the third module is, uh, is about creating purchase order suggestions. So here we take the demand forecast into account and the inventory levels. Uh, and we basically uh, suggest what, when, and how much uh, the customer should buy. Uh, and th these purchase order suggestions could either be used as decision support, or they could be used to actually optimize the purchase process for one of more or more of their, of their products. Uh, and we actually conducted a proof of concept on this uh, sales forecasting uh, module uh, last year together with three different uh, pilots. So this uh, top graph here basically shows uh, forecasts for 2019. Uh, so here we have trained a model on all data up till uh, 2019. And then we pretend that we are, we are sitting in 1st of January 2019 and, and ask, okay, how much are we going to sell the next 12 months? Uh, so this blue line is basically the forecast that are computed with the model. And then afterwards, we can, uh, we can lay on top of that uh, how much we're actually selling in this period. So that's the white line. And as you see, uh, these, uh, the forecasts are, are quite accurate. Uh, there's not a lot of space between these two lines. We see, for instance, also in, in November where, where these forecasts are, are able to kind of pick on, up on this uh, seasonal spike before Christmas. Um, and the overall accuracy in this case was around 8%, but that varies a bit from product to product. Uh, 
Um, so the second thing we want to do was to simulate uh, the performance of the uh, purchase order suggestions. Uh, so uh, in this bottom graph here, we have the, the green line, which is actually uh, how uh, this pilot customer's inventory would look if they would uh, follow uh, every suggestion that our model gave in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of purchasing. And the white line here is the actual demand that was in 2019. Uh, so basically, uh, uh, if the green line is above uh, the white line, uh, that means that we have enough uh, inventory to satisfy uh, the demand in a given month. Uh, but if the white line is above the green line, it means that we're lacking some, some uh, units. Uh, so we see that we're, we're able to satisfy demand in all months except uh, August, where we're 10-15 units uh, short. Um, and also we see that the, the green line is not that much above the white line. And this means that we're not carrying excessive amounts of, uh, of inventory, which would be a bad, bad idea because it will hurt our liquidity. So based on, on this uh, simulation, uh, it indicates that our, our uh, module performs quite well. Um, and here's a quote from uh, Olivia in Åse, uh, which is one of our pilot customers. Åse uh, is a Swedish uh, company. And she says that we use a lot of time on manually examining the historical sales of each product and trying to estimate the upcoming demand. Using inventory optimization would save us a lot of time and cost. Um, I also want to uh, stress kind of the importance of combining uh, ML as a service with UX. Um, because it doesn't really, it doesn't really help uh, if the machine learning uh, service is, uh, is kind of performing perfectly. If the users doesn't feel that they are in control and that the process is transparent and intuitive. Um, so every time we do a project with, uh, with different software companies and they want to integrate with us, we'll always include kind of UX specialists in order to kind of ensure that the final product is a success. So that was the domains and subservices. Uh, and I want to uh, move into uh, the topic of automated machine learning and uh, explain a little bit on how we're actually able to do this. Uh, but first, I will cover the traditional approach of creating machine learning uh, models. So here we'll typically have a data source that a uh, data engineer would uh, connect to and extract some data set. Uh, and this data set is typically uh, quite uh, messy, so they need to clean it. And then the, uh, the engineer will send this data uh, to the data scientist. Uh, and the, the data scientist will then typically do some pre-processing, uh, apply some transformations, um, and then test different algorithms and end up with a final model that performs well. Uh, and then the data scientist will hand this over to the, to the infrastructure engineer, which is responsible for deploying this model and making it accessible for the user. Um, and as you can see, this process has to be done for each uh, data set we want to predict. Uh, so basically, uh, this, this uh, process doesn't scale because in order to satisfy kind of uh, uh, hundreds or thousands of different customers, you would need to hire uh, amazingly many uh, data scientists. So, so we need to have another approach. Um, and the solution here is to apply machine learning pipelines. Um, so they basically uh, enable us to automate machine learning. Um, 
And what this uh, machine learning pipeline does is that it takes in, in some sort of input data and uh, some specifications. Um, and uh, I will get back to how this input data will look, but you, for now you can think that it, it uh, contains some, uh, some columns uh, with features, which are used to kind of create predictions, and a, a target column, which is kind of the data field that we want to predict. Um, and uh, the way it works that is that it will start with uh, preparing uh, this data, do some pre-processing and so on. Uh, and then it will split it up to a training set and a test set. Uh, the training set is basically used to uh, train the models and select the best one. And the test set is used to evaluate the performance of the final model. So after this data pre-processing step is done, uh, we will move into the model training uh, phase, which is this orange part of the slide. Uh, and here we'll select different machine learning algorithms and train them on this uh, training set using different uh, par parameters. Um, and then uh, we will use, uh, so, so after this uh, kind of first phase here, we will end up with a lot of different candidate models. And then uh, we will evaluate each of these uh, candidate models using a uh, process called cross-validation. I won't get into kind of the technicalities of how that works, but it's basically a quite uh, smart way of evalu evaluating the performance of different models by just using the training set. Um, so basically the output of the model training phase is a set of candidate models and a performance score of each model. And then we can move into the model selection phase. And here we basically just select the model with the highest performance score. And then we, then we evaluate that model on the test set in order to make sure that it's, it's actually working. Um, and basically the output here is the optimal model. So to sum up, we can use this machine learning pipeline to go from a, a data set to having an optimal model for that data set that has beaten a lot of different candidate models with a lot of different settings. Um, so basically you, you have automated it, this process. Um, and the question, next question is, who can use this uh, pipeline? And the answer is basically any client or customer that has a data set that adheres to a quite generic schema. And this uh, schema basically expects uh, one or more X columns uh, with features and a Y column, which contains the target variable that we want to predict. Uh, and in addition, we will need some uh, information on which data uh, types that are in each column. Um, so to kind of give an example on how this data set might look, I have here a, just a simplified version of, of a data set for turnover prediction. Uh, so here the target variable would probably be uh, whether an employee has turned or not. Um, and in order to predict that, we would probably use uh, data on a number of months since uh, last uh, pay raise, perhaps, or and also employee engagement uh, score. Um, and uh, on the right side here, we have uh, we have a uh, like a simplified version of a data set for sales forecasting, and we see that that's quite similar actually. Um, here we uh, want to predict sales next month, um, and in order to do that, we will probably use data on how much did we say say how much did we sell last month, and what was the average price perhaps last month, and probably other features uh, as well. Um, and we see that uh, um, basically, although the, the columns in these two datasets are different, uh, the only thing actually the model, the ML pipeline needs to know is what is the target uh, column, 
what are the features, and what are the data types. So in this illustration, the target uh, column is uh, highlighted in blue, and the features are highlighted in orange. Uh, so as you see, um, the ML pipeline is designed to kind of support a wide range of different datasets in different domains. Um, and it can basically create a, a machine learning model for any type of dataset as long as it adheres to a given schema. Uh, and that's why we can use it to automate machine learning. However, uh, in, our, uh, in our service, we're actually creating a machine learning service, a machine learning pipeline per domain. And the reason for that is that we see that, uh, for instance, sales forecasting data and um, data which we use to predict uh, turnover requires different type of machine learning models. And we think it's more efficient to have a machine learning pipeline than per domain than having a one general one, which uh, maybe doesn't give that good uh, results. Um, so that, uh, that was a brief, brief introduction to uh, automatic machine learning. Um, so now next I will, I will cover kind of how the machine learning factory is, uh, is designed and how the architecture looks. Um, so again, just to repeat that, machine learning factory is basically uh, a set of APIs. Uh, so when the, when the clients upload data here, it will trigger uh, a given machine learning pipeline that will train a model and return the results. Uh, and, a sim and a simplified architecture uh, of this API uh, looks something like this. So if we start in the top left corner, uh, we have a software company uh, that wants to create predictions uh, for one or more datasets. So they will call this upload MPI, API uh, and send in uh, one or more datasets. Uh, on our side, uh, our uh, validation process will be triggered which will validate this data uh, and check if it adheres to this schema, which I mentioned uh, previously. And if it does, uh, it will store the data and the, the uh, machine learning pipeline will be triggered. This machine learning pipeline will fetch the data again uh, uh, and uh, train and select the optimal model uh, for each data set that the client sent in in the first place. And uh, the optimal models will be stored in this model storage. And the, uh, the next part now is that we can imagine a uh, end user that sits in one of, one of uh, the software company's applications. So, uh, and this is illustrated uh, in the down left uh, corner. So let's say it's a, a user that sits in a ERP software and wants to know, okay, how much am I going to sell of this product next 12 months? Then uh, this application will, uh, will call the prediction endpoint, which will load uh, the model for these data sets in, uh, from the model storage, compute predictions, and then return the predictions to the end user. Um, and we actually create these kinds of infrastructure for each subservice that we offer. Uh, so on the right side here, we see that we have one set of infrastructure for sales forecasting, one set of infrastructure for labor demand forecasting, one set of infrastructure for turnover uh, prediction. And we're actually able to deploy uh, this infrastructure in a very efficient way because everything is written in code. So we use a framework uh, called Terraform uh, where we kind of were able to create a blueprint of all the infrastructure a given subservice requires. Uh, and then it's super easy to, to, uh, to just deploy a copy of this infrastructure if we are to create a new, a new subservice. So let's uh, dig a bit more into how these subservices are deployed. Um, 
so the blue tubes in this uh, in this uh, slide are actually continuous delivery pipelines. And they are not to be uh, confused with the machine learning pipelines, which I've talked a lot about today. Uh, because the continuous delivery pipelines are, are basically used for building, testing, and deploying code and, and infrastructure. Um, so the pipeline on the left side here is the main pipeline. And the pipeline on the right side is the service pipeline. And we have, uh, in machine learning factory, we have one main pipeline. But for each subservice, we have a uh, own service pipeline. Um, so if we look a bit more into how this main pipeline actually works, uh, it takes in, yeah, it has two different inputs. The first one is a, a blueprint of the service pipeline. So this is basically a Terraform code that uh, decides kind of how this pipeline should work, uh, what uh, inputs should it have, um, what processes happen in it, and so on. And the second input is a uh, blueprint of the common resources used by all subservices. So this could be monitoring tools, logging, security, scanning resources, custom domain names, and so on. Um, and basically what this pipeline does is that it deploys the common resources and it deploys the service pipeline for each subservice. Um, and in this uh, illustration here, I only have added one service pipeline, but again, we'll have one uh, service pipeline per subservice. Um, let's continue by uh, looking a bit into what happens within the service pipeline. Uh, so, so here we have three uh, sets of inputs. We have the machine learning pipeline, uh, which is basically Python code, and it's it's uh, we create one machine learning pipeline per subservice. Um, and uh, secondly, we have a, a backend code base, and this is quite general. It's Python code, uh, and it's designed in a quite general way. So the same code base is applied for all subservices. And thirdly, we have this infrastructure blueprint, and this is basically Terraform code uh, containing of all the resources that uh, uh, that the um, application use or the subservice use. So it contains of kind of the, the endpoints, the databases, uh, the containers, uh, and so on. Uh, and basically what this uh, service pipeline does is that it, it builds and tests uh, the backend code and the ML pipeline code. And it also scans it for security vulnerabilities. And secondly, it deploys the entire service uh, with the endpoints and all that to AVS. Um, so to sum up, uh, we see that kind of this service as a whole is designed uh, using a high degree of generality and reusability. And this is very nice because it makes it super easy for us to offer new subservices. So if we want to deliver a new subservice, say a churn prediction, we can go from having a ready machine learning pipeline for churn prediction to having a fully functioning and reliable service within one to two, day, one to two days. And this actually makes it uh, possible for us, which is a quite small team, to deliver a scalable machine learning service to many customers across multiple domains. Um, I also wanted to touch a bit on kind of what kinds of technology we're using, because as I mentioned earlier, uh, machine learning is quite resource intensive. Uh, it requires a lot of data, it uh, requires a lot of computations. So we had to be a bit smart about kind of uh, which, which resources we we're actually using. Um, and basically we are using uh, almost uh, all of the resources we are using is based on serverless technology. Um, and this basically enables us to run code, uh, 
do data processing and so on without actually needing to uh, handle any servers. Uh, so AVS handles the, the scaling for us uh, and we only pay for the actual usage. And, they actually, and it actually scales automatically also, which is, is uh, super convenient. So the main uh, uh, resources we are using is uh, Fargate and Elastic Container Service. Uh, these are used to orchestrate and run our containers, which we use for mold training and prediction and so on. Uh, we use AVS Lambda to run kind of uh, more lighter jobs, such as kind of the backend code, uh, data storage and so on. Uh, we use S3 buckets to store our, uh, all our customer data. We have quite a lot of uh, data. So, uh, so this is a very convenient and cheap way of storing that. Uh, and we use code pipeline as a resource for our continuous delivery. So basically this uh, main pipeline, this service pipeline I talked about are basically using code pipeline. Um, and the great thing with uh, using uh, serverless technology is that we're actually able to scale uh, in a way that uh, makes our costs or our operational costs linear dependent on the usage and not exponentially as it could be the case. Uh, so before I wrap up, I would like to give a short uh, overview of the road ahead for Machine Learning Factory. Um, the plan is to launch the main service in uh, Q1. So then kind of the, the core service will be, be ready. We'll have endpoints that uh, clients could connect, in, uh, connect with and also um, uh, launch this forecasting subservice. Um, and in the beginning of Q2, uh, VismaNet ERP, which is a provider of ERP software, will start integrating with us. Uh, and the plan there is to deliver uh, sales forecasting inventory management as an add-on to their existing uh, product. Um, so we expect that we will have uh, pilots testing out this, this product in Bismanet uh, ERP's uh, front-end in the beginning of Q3. And we aim for launching this to uh, five different geographical markets uh, in Q4. Within workforce management, we're currently conducting a proof of concept on labor demand prediction uh, that we aim to finalize sometime in, in Q1. And uh, when that's finished, we will uh, decide if and when uh, we will go to production with this uh, product. And in this proof of concept, we're, uh, we're cooperating with uh, VER, which is called Visma Enterprise Resource Management. Um, and we have uh, two pilots, uh, a private hospital uh, company and uh, Tromsø Municipality, which is Norway's fifth largest municipality. Within the human resource management domain, we're currently conducting a proof of concept on anomaly detection for uh, time reporting together with a Swedish co company called uh, Mevin. Uh, and we aim to complete that within Q2. And we're also aiming to start a, a proof of concept on turnover prediction together with Multi in Q3. So uh, I think we have a very exciting road ahead of us. Um, if you have any questions uh, on what we do in Visma Resolve, or if you're interested in using one of our services or doing a project with us, feel free to contact, uh, contact me on minus.lien at visma.com or visit our webpage, which is visma.com backslash artificial intelligence backslash resolve. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I hope it was interesting, and uh, have a nice day.